Hello, cyber friends. This is Chatting Cyber, and I'm your host, Mark Shine. This podcast focuses on how companies can help qualify and quantify the cost of a data breach. Chatting Cyber features some of the most well-respected privacy and cyber experts in the world. Join the conversation with business leaders, government agencies, and cyber experts to learn more about how and why they got into this ever-changing field that we call cyber risk. Hello, cyber colleagues. I'm Mark Schein, National Co-Chair of the Cyber Center of Excellence here at Marsh McLennan Agency. And today we have a true cyber celebrity with us, uh, Joe Lazarotti from Jackson Lewis. Joe, thanks for joining today. Hey, thanks, Mark. Happy New Year. Joe, Joe my, my first question to you is, how does a boy from Staten Island end up becoming the co-chair of the Privacy and Data Security Group of perhaps the most prestigious, uh, really, uh, uh, law firm, you know, in, in the world, when we talk about really from a benefits perspective. Sure. Um, well, I appreciate that. appreciate being here with you today. Um, yeah, Staten Island was interesting. I, I, uh, I lived there till uh, about my early 20s, got married, finished law school in, of all places, Kansas City, uh, which was a little bit different than Staten Island. But uh, joined Jackson Lewis in the early 2000s and actually started as an ERISA and tax attorney doing employee benefits work. Um, and so a lot of that work um, involved group health plans, also retirement plans, of course. Um, but fortuitously, at the same time, the HIPAA privacy and security rules began to be issued. And I really got deep into those. And, and, and around the same time, um, the first data breach notification law in California was passed about 2003. And so it, it was natural to um, get into that. And then quickly I realized that, uh, you know, this, you know and our firm is very supportive of this. Um, it's hard to help clients with cyber issues and, and just focus on one set of their data, such as employee data. So we you know, quickly put together a team and started to track a lot of these laws and, and get more involved in um, helping clients, again, become compliant, helping with incidents, getting on panels, and, you know, just kind of growing the group from there. So, you know, one of the, the I think the hardest things that I hear from, you know, other firms is trying to get on these insurance carrier panels. I would imagine, um, is it helpful that you guys are already on existing panels for different things like employee practices liability? So it's a natural synergy for a carrier to put Jackson Lewis on a cyber panel? Or do you see some of these same challenges that other firms do? No, I mean, look, there's always challenges. It's about relationships. We, we try to do our best to build those relationships. Um, it does help to have a lot of our colleagues who have built very good relationships on EPL and fiduciary and other coverages. I think one of the advantages for us also is um, we have deep experience in dealing with carriers. We understand the rate pressures. We understand the need for responsiveness. We understand, you know, the back and forth that goes with the process of doing in short work. Um, and, and we like doing that. It's an important part of our business. So, um, but yeah, I think we face the same challenges, but, but we have some advantages. We try to leverage those and, and we really enjoy that work. Great. So, so we recently came out with a joint article together that I know was on the, um, the Jackson Lewis blog, um, and I believe a few other publications had picked it up as well. Um, Joe, if somebody wanted to check out that article first, um, how would they be able to uh, access it? Uh, perhaps you could share your contact information or the firms um, um, in order to uh, get that, 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 that particular article. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm in my 
Uh, I'm in the firms. We have about 63 offices around the country. I, I have. Uh, I'm in the Berkeley Heights, New Jersey office. But the easiest way to to get the and, and my my email address is just my first name dot Lazarotti at jacksonlewis.com. Um, but you you can get me through the website or um, our blog, which is uh, workplaceprivacyreport.com, and, and you'll see that article among many others there. So, you know, I, I actually, I really enjoyed doing that article with you, um, you know, and when we came up with the title, I mean, I thought it was really, really genius in terms of what's really going on. You know, does your cyber insurance policy look more like health insurance? And it's concerning, right? Because of the changes that we're seeing in the marketplace in this day and age. So, I mean, you know, from a, a, a coverage perspective, you know, clients have really started to uh, become more engaged with in terms of buying cyber insurance. Perhaps it's from a contractual obligation, but Joe, oftentimes we see them is they want to get their business interruption or they're concerned around dependent business interruption from a cyber incident. Mm -hmm. You know, how with you, with the fact that you're starting to see sublimits and, and co-insurance, you know, how from a privacy, uh, a legal aspect, how do you advise clients when they're you know, they're coming in, they're trying to put these policies together. And how does this start to impact your planning with the disruption in the marketplace? Well, I mean, we as a firm don't give specific advice around coverage for our clients, but very often clients will come to us and say, look, you guys do cyber. We're thinking about this. How should we be thinking about it? In, in the same way, we, we, we have done that work with health insurance, right? Um, just just as an aside, like one of the big issues we're seeing now with COVID is a lot of companies, you may have seen the announcement from Delta Airlines, they said, if you get, you know, if you don't get vaccinated, we're going to impose a $200 surcharge, right, on you. And so they're using their health plan, they're using the leverage of a wellness program to encourage healthier behaviors, right? Um, and so we'll look at our clients and say, okay, you want to reduce your premium the same way you want or your employees want their premiums to be held as steady as they can with as minimal increases as they expect you to year. Well, what do you do to do that? How do you examine the coverages under the policy? So how do you examine the risk that the covered entity in a health plan, obviously it's the individual employee. Uh, here, it's the company itself. How do you manage those risks to minimize um, the risk that you present and the coverage that you're looking for, which ultimately will drive down or keep as low as possible the premium? And so you, you can start to look at um, things like, well, what's the retention? What's um, the co-insurance in this, you know, in, in, in the more new feature you see in cyber? Um, what about the, the provider network, right? Provider networks is a big deal with health insurance because you want it to sync up and have better utilization, but does a insured for cyber have control over the, the network of providers, right? The people on the panel that you mentioned before, to try to think, well, can we can we get some savings there, or how do we manage our business interruption, our controls, so that the risk, uh, if we get hit with an attack, is going to be as minimal as possible. So, looking at those kinds of things, understanding the business, I, I'm sure you do a lot of this as well for your clients to try to help them shape their organization as best they can to to, to achieve those savings. Sure, Joe, Joe. In your opinion, are there things? that the person who manages the cyber insurance, the cyber claim, uh, perhaps could learn 
from the HR team or the team that handles the employee benefits at the organization? Yeah, sure. I think I think there are. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, for most organizations, people who manage their health plan have been doing this a lot longer than the people who manage cyber. Um, particularly companies that are newer to the cyber market, right? Everybody's had a health plan for years. And some of the things that the people um, who manage the health plans do is first, they, they really have to assess the risk in a better way. They have to know who the covered people are. Um, it's a little bit different, again, because we're talking about individuals rather than the entity itself. But, you know, a person who manages COBRA and is, uh, who manages the health insurance who is transitioning from one carrier to the, to the other knows that they have to list the COBRA people because if they don't, the new carrier won't um, cover those people. So really- And it's the same way on the cyber insurance now. They're asking for supplementals for certain vulnerabilities on some of these yeah. systemic losses. So it, it's, very mu- it's very much the same. Exactly. And so, and, but the people in the companies, are they thinking about that? But you're right. I mean, it's, it's just making sure we've identified the potential exposures to the carry to make sure that they're within scope of the policy, right? Um, and then, I, you know, wellness, right? This idea of, which I, which I mentioned, what's your cyber hygiene? Because how can we improve the wellness of the organization from a cyber perspective? Um, and people in Health plans have been doing that and trying to do that for, for, for decades now and to, to varying degrees of success, but it is a factor in, in, in design and a consideration. Um, another thing is, you know, adjusting the levers of the health plan or the cyber plan, like we were talking about also. Um, there's some tools in, in, in the toolbox of health plan uh, persons responsible for health plans, they may switch carriers from year to year. It's a popular, you know, they, they try to negotiate among the different carriers. That may be more difficult now, right, in this market, but it's an option, as is, um, you know, having greater cost sharing, which we're seeing, um, modifying benefits, you know, let's put a cap here or, or not there mm-hmm. if we can. ACA's limited that to some degree, but there might be some ways to do that um, with, within certain limits. Um, but making better use of provider networks. I mentioned that. Um, I, I, guess, I guess one thing I would say that I'm seeing that may be uh, a good thing to, to think about is having informed brokers. Um, one thing I've learned in doing this for 20 years is on the benefit side is that people have really good relationships, really strong relationships with their brokers on the health plan side. Um, sometimes to a fault. I think sometimes both parties can get themselves into trouble by going too far and beyond the scope of what brokers do. But, but for the most part, brokers really provide a valuable service in that they can help keep their clients up to date. They can make sure they're considering what they need to consider to um, get the best plan design for the company and its employees. In the same way, um, I think cyber uh, brokers are starting to do that more. Um, obviously, you guys do it, right? But I think having that trusted advisor with you through the process rather than just snapping on some amendment to another policy that may not match what your company needs and the coverage that your company would be best suited to have could be a big mistake. So you you, you very much need a trusted partner in this day and age in order to help you not only navigate the application process, but the negotiation process and the implementation of the policy. You know, you had mentioned the provider network uh, on the health insurance plan several times. And it, I mean, again, just as we're speaking now, it resonates with me as we see the carriers really starting to push the pre-breach services 
you know, trying to engage clients, again, from that better healthcare uh, perspective, healthier mind, you know, making sure the client understands, here's a vulnerability scan, here's the vulnerabilities in your network. Do you, you know, please address them. If you don't, it's going to be a lot harder to get cyber insurance in 2022 than it was, you know, uh, in years prior, if you don't have the right controls in place. You know, Marsh identified about 12 controls as of 2021 that were critical in, uh, for, for organizations uh, that were looking to buy cyber insurance. Um, one of the things that comes up all the time when I'm speaking to underwriters is they throw out the word compliance. And my, my first question, Joe, is what is cyber compliance? What does that look like in 2022? And how does that landscape, and with the rapid changes in the landscape, how does an organization stay afloat of the ever-changing uh, ever landscape? Yeah, um, so compliance is a great word, and it means different things to different people. Some people, when they hear compliance, they're like, well, if we're 80% of the way there, that's good enough. That's compliant, right? Substantial, that's really substantial compliance, maybe, right? Um, but, you know, compliance also means doing all the things that you need to do with respect to the regulatory environment in which you're in. Um, and for different companies, that means different things. Um, I just saw yesterday there was a set of guidelines published in, by an association that uh, provides, uh, serve, you know, brings together medical device entities. And, you know, it's more of the same stuff, right? And when you start to look at, you know, um, NIST and HIPAA and the New York Shield and the Massachusetts regs and GDPR and the CIS controls and all of this stuff, you, you begin to see that there's a set of common threads across all of those, which is probably a lot of what Marsh drew from in establishing its you know, the 12 controls it thinks are critical. But of course, that's not comprehensive. That's not compliance. But there, it's really good, um, important measures that really anybody should have. But beyond that, there still may be things you need to do to be quote unquote compliant with, again, whatever that regulatory environment is. And, you know, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend, I think, about an increasing regulatory environment on the heels of 2020, where the Biden administration, 2021, excuse me, where the Biden administration was reacting to solar winds and a lot of these incidents that, you know, a, you know colonial pipeline that affected significant supply chain, national security, and other types of issues. So federal contractors are feeling uh, a little bit more these days, you know, the press for cybersecurity. And then we just keep seeing it. But I, I think, you know, you really have to think about what entity you're talking about, because they're going to take a different view of compliance, because they may say, well, we're not a federal contractor, we're not a bank, we're not a healthcare entity, sure. you know, but, you know, we may have some data, so what do we have to do? And, you know, it's, when people think about this, I find that they focus on personal data, appropriately so, that's where the breach notification laws are triggered, but the business interruption side of this, I think people don't make the connection normally. They just think, well, it's a breach, so I have to notify people. And it's like, yeah, but you may not have your business open and you may not be able to make information available to your customers. You may impact sure. your reputation. All of that also plays into compliance in the sense that if we comply with a reasonable set of safeguards, we can really save our business a lot of headaches. I mean, I think that's in, in a nutshell, um, how I try to present it to clients so that they understand it's, you know, this is not an HR thing. It's not an IT thing. It's not a marketing thing. 
it's an enterprise thing. And, and that's what companies have to focus on. So Joe, we have spoken about a tremendous amount in a very short amount of time. Um, is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't get to ask you uh, before I let you go? Um, no, I think this is good. I mean, I, I, I know that some clients have been asking about, you know, how do they manage the, the whole remote work thing? Um, and mm. as, as kind of a, a different risk than they were used to because of COVID, you know, we've been dealing a lot with that and how does that affect their, you know, their cyber risk and how they can best adjust for that. That's, that's been something of a, uh, of an issue we've been working with a, a lot with clients. And then you and I have talked about this before. Um, you know, again, it ties into compliance, but, um, you know, the whole part about benefit plans, um, the DOL, right, stepping out last year and requiring um, that plan sponsors check into their service providers to make sure they're compliant. What's interesting there is there's personal liability potentially, right, with fiduciary obligations under ERISA for companies that don't do that, for individuals who don't meet their fiduciary role, um, as well as on the other side for advisors and other entities that service plans. But, um, but yeah, so those, those are just a couple of the things, but I think we covered, uh, I think we covered what we wanted to. Well, with that being said, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show and chatting cyber with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Joe. Take care, everyone.